You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Be Humane on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Robin Ganser, and I'm so delighted to join you today as my colleagues and I at American Humane mark a century of animal rescue. Yes, friends, that's 100 years of rescuing precious animals from war, hurricanes, floods, wildfires, and other disasters. But for such a big birthday, we were the ones who ended up giving a giant gift to America's animals. Yes, with generous and wonderful funding from the William H. Donner Foundation and the Kirkpatrick Foundation, and with the assistance of leading animal health company Zoetis, we unveiled a giant 50-foot rescue vehicle at the New York Stock Exchange on May 9th. This vehicle, which carries life-saving supplies and equipment to shelter more than 100 animals, will be stationed in Oklahoma's Tornado Alley. And it debuted on May 20th, the anniversary of the EF5 tornado that devastated the city of Moore in just 2013. Following the Moore disaster, American Humane Association's Red Star Rescue Team deployed for a full month, helping to rescue, shelter, and care for hundreds of animals. We'll be talking to Louisa McCune, the executive director of the Kirkpatrick Foundation and one of my best friends. We're going to be talking to her in just a few minutes about what this truck will mean to the animals and to the families of Oklahoma. Later, we'll be joined by Randy Collins, the national director of our animal rescue program, to talk about this incredible legacy, a hundred-year legacy of rescuing animals. You know, American Humane's legendary rescue program was born on the battlefields of World War I in Europe in 1916 when the U.S. Secretary of War asked us to go and save war horses. Can you imagine? During that time, American Humane staff and volunteers rescued and cared for an astounding number of wounded horses a month, 68,000. Can you imagine 68,000 wounded horses a month on the battlefields of World War I? And since the Great War, we have been part of virtually every major disaster response from Pearl Harbor to 9-11. Hurricane Andrew, Katrina, the Mount St. Helens eruption, the Joplin, Missouri tornado, the Japanese and Haitian earthquakes, and Superstorm Sandy. Over just the past 10 years, American Humane has saved, helped, and sheltered more than 80,000 animals. Wow. Really makes American Humane the largest paw print and hoof print of any rescue group in this country. From World War I to the worst terror attack on U.S. soil and some of the deadliest, most destructive hurricanes, floods, and tornadoes ever, American Humane's animal rescue program has been there wherever and whenever animals are in crisis and in need. Friends, you can find a fascinating history of our animal rescue efforts by visiting kindness100.org, where we have a timeline complete with dramatic photos of our work to save animals during times of crisis. You'll learn how we helped America's animals in the event following World War II, which was, you know, unbelievable. And, of course, you will also learn about the time our team rode through an abandoned town in an army tank looking for lost pets. And find out just what the heck Hurricane Wolf is. It's all in the historic timeline, available at kindness100.org. We're proud to commemorate 100 years of animal rescue, but we know there is still so much to do, which is why our program is working to expand its life-saving and vital reach. 
now entering its second century of rescuing animals in crisis. American Humane is preparing to meet new and growing challenges. While we have giant rescue trucks stationed in the Northeast, the Southeast, the Rocky Mountain area, and the Plain States, so many more of these trucks are needed for other disaster-prone regions of the country so they can respond quickly when time is of the essence and when time is critical. And even when the skies are calm, like they are here in Washington, D.C. today, American Humane intervenes in cruelty cases, helps prepare communities for the worst, educates kiddos on the vital role that animals play in our lives, and provides second chances to animal victims of abuse and neglect. Our hope is to eventually have one rescue vehicle in each of the 10 FEMA regions across the country. Then we can be there whenever, wherever animals are in need. Friends, we have so much to talk about today. My colleague, Scott Sowers, is going to be right back. He's our reporter on the beat this week. He'll be right back with Louisa McCune, whose organization is doing such great work in the home state of Oklahoma. And I know she's very proud of this new animal rescue truck and resource for the great state of Oklahoma. Thanks so much for joining us today. You're listening to Be Humane on Pet Life Radio. We'll be right back. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. It's hard to find time for your furry family member. That's where Camp Bow Wow comes in. All day play and overnight camp, daycare and boarding for dogs. Everything is included. Large play areas for fun and exercise. Spacious cabins, comfy cots, even live camper cams to watch from a computer or smartphone. Camp Bow Wow offers the best care and is the place to go where a dog can be a dog. For locations and more information, visit CampBowWow.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Thank you, Robin. Welcome back to the show. This is Be Humane on Pet Life Radio. And today we are talking about 100 years of animal rescue. And normally when you're celebrating a big birthday like that, you expect a lot of presents. However, this year, American Humane Association, along with the William H. Donner Foundation and our next guests, gave a giant gift to America's animals and especially to Oklahoma's animals specifically. I'm joined on the phone now by Louisa McCune, who is the executive director of the Kirkpatrick Foundation, which is based in Oklahoma City. Louisa's foundation helped fund our new animal rescue truck, which will be based right there in Oklahoma City. We just dedicated it a couple days ago, and it's now ready to go and help respond to disasters or cruelty situations in Oklahoma or the surrounding states. Thanks for joining us today, Louisa. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. So, Louisa, let's start at the top. Tell us why we need a truck based in Oklahoma to help serve the animals of your state and the surrounding states. Well, I think, first of all, as many people know, Oklahoma is right uh, sort of ground zero for Tornado Alley in the central part of the United States. We just have a weather pattern here that's very conducive to these circular rotations that ultimately wreak havoc in the form of of a tornado on our uh, landscape, and that includes cities, farms, ranches, and all of the people and the animals, you know, in our communities. So we're a great place for that beautiful vehicle to be based. We're right at the Oklahoma City is right at the intersection of three interstates. So and OSU OKC, which is where the vehicle is stationed, is can jump on one of those interstates at a moment's notice and deploy. So so our location is is ideal. And also we have 
you know, uh, down in Norman, Oklahoma, at the University of Oklahoma, we have uh, some of the top meteorologists uh, and meteorology training. Uh, the National Weather Service has a major uh, uh, footprint there. So we just, our weathermen in the state on the local news broadcasts are, you know, veritable heroes here. So weather is a big deal here, Not and, and I just think it's kind of a match made in heaven, quite honestly. Yeah, it definitely is. And, you know, we dedicated the truck. At first, we brought it to New York City on May 9th. We rang the opening bell at the New York Stock Exchange, and you were there, and the truck was parked outside right on Wall Street. And then just a few days later, we were there in Oklahoma City at, at Oklahoma State University, Oklahoma City, to dedicate the truck in its brand new home. And the date that we dedicated it, May 20th, has special significance in in your state. It's the day that a major EF5 tornado really devastated the town of Moore, and it destroyed homes and took countless lives, and a number of pets were left homeless. American Humane Association deployed there for a full month. We helped rescue animals, shelter animals, and then we helped either reunite those animals with their owners or we adopted them out. We had a major adoption event at the end of our deployment. So can you talk a little bit about what that tornado was like from someone who lived there in Oklahoma with the experience? Yeah. Yes, I can. And, and you know, there are certain dates that live in infamy in Oklahoma history. Um, of course, April 19th, uh, the bombing of the uh, federal building in, in Oklahoma City. May 3rd was another uh, major tornado a number of years ago, and then May 20th of 2013. And that was really my, personally, my first interaction with um, American Humane Association and the Red Star Rescue. And I toured the area, devastating, I've toured tornado sites in the past, but I'd never in my capacity uh, so involved with animals. So it was an extraordinary, I think, an extraordinary coming together of experts to bring relief to the animals that we serve. So the Oklahoma Department of Agriculture headed up the incident command. They did an amazing job. Um, the Red Star Rescue, their presence was so reassuring and expert, and it just, uh, it was really, really so impressive to me to see your organization really come to life and, and do what it does best. So that was the beginning of our relationship, Kirkpatrick Foundation, with the Red Star Rescue. And we made a small grant in the aftermath of that to help defray the, your costs in, in deploying to Oklahoma. And, and then sort of the, that gave birth to the idea of this amazing vehicle. So really, you know, it's people we know from Hurricane Katrina and other disasters around the world and, and of course the nation that people will not leave their animals in a, in a crisis situation. And that includes domestic violence too. So, so having the Red Star Rescue, you know, deployed in the aftermath of this can really, you know, spare human lives too and, and, and help human lives as well as, you know, the, the animals that we serve. Yeah, it's, you know, you hear countless stories, especially in our line of work, about how animals saved their owners. Just it's the common phrase is who rescued who. And so for many people, their pets and their animals are their family, and so they wouldn't know what to do without them. But when something like a hurricane strikes, you have a little bit more time to prepare and, and a little bit more time. But something like a tornado, it's it's all of a sudden. So, you know, you're sitting in your living room one minute, the next minute your house is destroyed and your, your dog has run off and people don't know what to do. So that's why our team is there to help rescue those animals who are out wandering the streets with the dangerous rubble and everything else and then help bring them back. 
I mean, that's a great point to make about you know, preparedness and how tornadoes can come out of the blue. Now, we know that they happen in certain seasons of the year, so there's a little more preparation. But with American Humane, working with our partners here in Oklahoma City, or, or not necessarily our grantee partners, but for sure uh, those groups too, but with the fire department, with the police department, with the Office of Emergency Personnel, I think that's the right name, you know, that planning and preparation can go a long way toward alleviating the damage that we incur, like a plan for your pets, a plan for your family, a plan for where to, to shelter in place, all that stuff. Oh, Absolutely. I want to, one thing I wanted to mention, just on the as you were speaking a moment ago, something you said reminded me of quality of life. You know, pets and as family members, and you know, in, in communities like Oklahoma and Oklahoma City, you know, we're not San Francisco, we're not New York City, we're not Miami. These cities that have kind of a big lure, but we do now have an NBA team and we have an amazing museum and a fantastic ballet. So we have these quality, we've we put a lot of attention on quality of life in Oklahoma City and Tulsa over the last 20, 25 years because we know that that's what lures people and lures good jobs. Yeah. But I, I maintain in all of my conversations with, um, uh, leaders and, and thought leaders and opinion leaders and, and people who have decision-making ability that, you know, quality of life is, you cannot separate animal well-being with uh, the quality of life as yeah. individuals. <laughs> so raising the conversation of animal well-being into quality of life concerns is uh, one of our, our big day-to-day efforts. Uh, so I think that that's I think that's really kind of an essential part of this conversation. I just want to Yeah. That. I know that I'm sure pretty much everyone out there who's listening who's in Oklahoma was saddened with the with the thunder going down in game seven right. to the Warriors, but you know, they I think they had an incredible season and they really turned it on in the playoffs, so that's something sure to be hopeful for in the future. Um, I know and and they uh and, and we love our team and gosh yeah. I think the world I think the world was really rooting for the Thunder and in that yeah. in that in that phenomenal series. So it's really yeah. fun to watch. You started to touch on it a little bit, Louisa, in just a moment ago, but talk a little bit more about the Kirkpatrick Foundation overall, sort of where you came from, why the, the Kirkpatrick's founded this foundation, and yeah. you know, talk a little bit about some of your initiatives, especially uh, your animal welfare and well being, because that's a big okay. part of your mission. Yeah, it is. Okay, so in 1955, John and Eleanor Kirkpatrick, who have since passed away, they started Kirkpatrick Foundation with a check for $10,000 to be a philanthropy. So we're now starting our seventh decade, and uh, our chairman is their grandson. His name is Christian Cassie, and I'm the executive director. So over the last 60 years, Kirkpatrick Foundation has really kind of become a, a, a blue-chip philanthropy in Oklahoma, funding arts, culture, education, animal well-being, environmental conservation, and historic preservation. We have another sister philanthropy called the Kirkpatrick Family Fund. They have different bylaws, different board of trustees, different director, different mission. And But we work in, um, I like to say that we're sisters, not twins. So the two, one family, two philanthropies. So Kirkpatrick Foundation, really probably in about 1965, became very involved with the Oklahoma City Zoo and the Oklahoma Zoological Society. In fact, our founder, John Kirkpatrick, was their first president. And, and, we're, and these, we're talking about, you know, lifelong animal lovers, people who cared very much about how animals were treated and, and cared for. 
So flash forward probably about 30 years ago, and Kirkpatrick Foundation became very involved in the funding of the Oklahoma uh, State University Veterinary College. So then we, right. we went from sort of zoological conservation um, work to the training of veterinarians and really rising, helping that veterinary college rise to a, a, a great status. It's a beloved institution for the state of Oklahoma, and I really think that the vet school is one of the great sort of brand equity investments that that OSU has up in Stillwater. So John and Eleanor had one child, a daughter named Joan. She's mm-hmm. also passed away. She died in 2009. Big animal lover. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Her pets were, uh, particularly cats, were extremely important to her quality of life, as they are to all of us and to all of your listeners. Yeah, and definitely. she really, you know, she really sort of emphasized animal welfare as a, as a grant-making category for the foundation. So we really kind of, you know, with her influence, expanded from arts and culture and education to include animal wealth, animal welfare. Well, let me yeah. backtrack just a little bit by saying that my grandparents and John and Eleanor Kirkpatrick were very close friends. And my grandmother was the National Dog Rider of the Year, of all things. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she was President Emeritus of the Dog Riders Association of America. She had a column, a newspaper column, for 36 years in the Daily Oklahoman called Hound Hill, where she was kind of an Irma Bombeck, um, Anna Quinlan-esque writer about, um, about animals. And, uh, yeah, it was really, she, so she was, so I come from a long DNA, uh, strain of, you know, people who are intensely concerned about animal welfare. And then my mother, her daughter, became kind of the midwife in Enid, Oklahoma, where I was born and raised for anyone who was having puppies. (laughs) So, so anyone, you know, anytime there was a litter being born or, or, uh, they would call my mother and she would kind of come help, help the whelping. And I, um, and, you know, all the animals, you know, there was a great menagerie um, at my house. Anytime a high school friend of mine would, you know, rescue a kitten and their parents wouldn't let them keep it, you know, whose house did the kitten come to? It came to our house. So so I grew up amid many, many cats and dogs and occasional birds and et cetera, rabbits, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so just that's a little bit of my context in, in the life of the Kirkpatrick Foundation. Well, great. five years ago... There was a change in executive directors. Joan mm-hmm. Kirkpatrick had passed away. Her son, Christian, had been a lifelong trustee since he was age 14 of the Kirkpatrick Foundation. He ascended to the chairmanship, and he, uh, you know, went looking for his next executive director, and he and I were good friends, and that was me. So I switched careers. I was in, uh, previously in, in magazine publishing, and so then I changed careers to uh, move from publishing to philanthropy, which... Believe it or not, it's very similar. It's a yeah. very similar kind of work. So when I came on board five years ago, you know, there's a, a lot to learn, um, some gray matter to handle, and then kind of remaking the next the next era of the foundation with Chris as chairman and, and me as the director. And one of the, and he and I both had a, a lifelong abiding care and love for animals. So mm-hmm. we sort of took a very close look at the landscape of animal welfare in, in central Oklahoma in particular, but the whole state. And that's when we really set about creating a vision for what we're doing here. And, and that would, in some places, they would call that an initiative. So we started an yeah. initiative, which we debuted in July of 2012, called Safe and Humane. And that that's kind of our house term for it. But what it is, is it's our goal to make Oklahoma the safest and most humane place to be an animal by the year 2032. 
So it's a 20-year initiative to really raise the stakes, raise the conversation, raise the quality of life for animals and the people who care for them. Well, that's all of us, right? <laughs> so, so um, you know, sometimes people will say, well, who is your audience for this? I'm like, everyone's my audience for this. You know, <laughs> everyone. This affects everyone. I mean, absolutely. As, right. As Gandhi said, you know, the greatness of a nation can be judged by the way its animals are treated. So, so we kicked that off in July of 2012. Um, we published what I call our Jerry Maguire Manifesto. And we have been working um, around the clock ever since. So we're coming into you know the four-year anniversary of that. And I got to tell you, we've had some real home runs, and we've had some foul balls too. But we are, you know, talking about all animals here. From our interest in farm animal welfare has emerged. Um, and while I like to say that it's principally quadrupeds, you know, yeah. we're looking at pollinators too. And uh, the impact on uh, of bees and butterflies. So we're sure. you know, we're going to be looking at that too. But but we've had a number. Uh, I'd say some of our biggest successes. Just to talk about that for a minute would be um, the opening of the John Kirkpatrick Animal Hospital at the Oklahoma City Zoo. That's a big deal. Um, it's one of uh, very few teaching hospitals at a public zoo. And when I say teaching, I mean teaching the visitors, the tourists who come through. So they have these these sort of plank, uh, these sort of walkways where you can look down, much as you would have an amphitheater in a medical school, mm-hmm. you can look down and watch a chimpanzee, you know, a sedated chimpanzee getting a root canal or or uh, a rhinoceros getting an, uh, a pregnancy ultrasound. You can yeah. you can watch that, and that's, wow. that's really special. That was a big win. Earlier this year, we debuted a three-year research effort called the Oklahoma Animal Study. It's a 200-page, beautiful book free. It's free, so everyone, all you have to do is just write to us for a copy, and we'll send it to you in the mail. But we also have a PDF online, of course. And that was a three-year investigation into the condition of Oklahoma's animals. How are they doing? Where are they? What issues do they right. face? And that, I thought it was going to take six months, and it took three years. I mean, it, it just, you ask one question, and you have ten more. And you ask those ten questions, and you have a hundred more. So it was a really deep look at exactly what the situation is and very fair, very, you know, you might have one situation and there are two sides of looking at it, you know? Sure. So, so that was a big success. And then, and then this vehicle, this, this rescue truck, I can't tell you, I wish I could claim all the credit for it, but it was really, um, a vision of American Humane Association, uh, And uh, one of our former trustees, Dr. Joe Howell, had also had a relationship with American Humane, and he does some uh, ethicist work for you guys now. But but it was really the vision of your Red Star team, your CEO, your national director of the Red Star Rescue, I mean, Randy Collins, Robin Ganser, just Mm -hmm. a first-class operation. And so we were really... We felt like this really fit within our goal to make Oklahoma the most safest and most humane place to be an animal. And the fact that well, this happened just four years in, you know, to our our initiative is a real. It was really exciting, really exciting. Well, we definitely congratulate you on on all your goals for making Oklahoma such a humane place. You know, that's it's the the kind of thing that we hope happens in the forty nine other states, but they right. have a lot of catching up to do. You know, you talked a lot about your DNA, sort of as as your mother being the midwife for for puppies and your grandparent being the top dog rider of the year. Can right. You, so I'm sure you have plenty of pets at home yourself. Well, I'll tell you, it's interesting you ask. I have two cats right now. And my last of my three geriatric dogs died over Christmas. Um, What's that, maybe six months ago. 
And, you know, I've been looking and looking, and I love senior dogs, and I have three sons, ages 11, 8, and 6. And, you know, a puppy is in our future, but I also love the idea of a 9- or 10-year-old who I can care for. I mean, I love old dogs, you know, so maybe get the old dog, and that older dog can help usher in the new baby, and so this is kind of my vision right now. So, I mean, every single day I'm looking on a different, you know, local rescue site to kind of see who might be my next mate in terms sure. of my senior dogs. But but I am about to write my own essay uh, for a local pets magazine called OKC Pets, which is a really great publication. A little essay, a little memoir about my three geriatrics who, you know, passed away over the last three years and uh, just kind of those those eras that, you know, it's kind of the end of an era, right? Yeah, and, definitely. Um, so I'm kind of thinking about that a lot right now. But um, anyway, I've talked a lot about, <laughs> I've said a lot here, and I, I really want to champion what you all are up to, and and also what your radio podcast is is about. I, I think that's really intriguing, and I know you have a great listening yeah. audience. You know, cares deeply about these. Things. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I mean, we similarly want to tout the great work the Kirkpatrick Foundation is doing. This truck couldn't have been possible if it wasn't for your generosity, along with our friends at the William H. Donner Foundation and yes. some other donors, to bring this truck from a dream to a reality. And we're continuing to expand our rescue team and you'll learn a little bit more about that the regional expansion plans in our next segment our guest is randy collins who's our leader of our national team and he'll also talk more about how you can make an emergency plan for your pet which louisa talked a little bit about because it's it really could be the difference in life and death between your furry friends so thank you so much for joining us today louisa i know you guys are very busy so we'll let you get back to it but thanks so much and best of luck with everything You bet. Thank you, and let's stay in touch, and we can figure out how to continue to work together. Happy to do it. Sounds great. Have a great day. Take care. Thank you, and we'll be right back for more Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. I'm a U.S. Air Force member stationed overseas, and we have three rescued mutts. Stone Phillips was to be euthanized. There were bacteria crawling all over his skin. They called it elephant skin. It was rough, wrinkly, like a Brillo pad. He was in constant misery. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. We started feeding him the Dynavite, and his skin, it's a 180 turnaround. His skin has cleared up. He is not in pain. Stone is in excellent shape today. He runs stays slim and trim and follows my husband around like he worships him. I would highly encourage you to get a rescue dog and start him out on Dynavite right from the beginning, and they will make such a difference in your life. Call 859-428-1000. 859-428-1000. Or go to Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. Looking for the best advice on pet health, safety, and travel? Connect with the Pet Lady. Dana Humphrey, also known as the Pet Lady, will surely be in a city near you real soon. She will be spreading the good news for pets and pet lovers from tips on dog and cat care, pet industry trends, and the best events for you and your four-legged family members. Need a great gift idea or insights on the hottest pet gadgets? Simply follow the Pet Lady on Twitter at Pet Lady World. You can also learn more at the Pet Lady at thepetlady.net. 
Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> Welcome back to Be Humane on Pet Life Radio. I'm Scott Sowers, and as we've been discussing today, this year American Humane Association is celebrating its big 100th birthday of rescuing animals from disasters like war, wildfire, tornado, hurricanes, and massive animal cruelty cases. And here now with us on the phone is the leader of our animal rescue team, Randy Collins, who's been with the team for almost a year. Randy was just with our team in Oklahoma City and New York, where we gave a giant gift to America's animals in the form of a new 50-foot rescue truck. It's going to be based there in Oklahoma's Tornado Alley to help serve the animals of Oklahoma who get caught up in disasters. Thanks for joining us today, Randy. Thanks for having me. So talk a little bit about this new truck. You know, it made its debut earlier in May at the as we rang the opening bell of the New York Stock Exchange. And then a few weeks later, we were there in Oklahoma where the truck is going to reside. So talk about the need for this truck and talk a little bit about this truck and how it's outfitted. Sure. Uh, well, I believe the idea that we brought what came from the Moore, Oklahoma tornado, where the team spent uh, well over a month rescuing animals after that disaster. Uh, three years ago. So we unveiled it on the actual uh, three-year anniversary of the uh, more Oklahoma tornado event. And because Oklahoma is so volatile in its uh, weather patterns and its uh, hazards to the state, uh, including the wildfires, the uh, tornadoes, as you mentioned, floods, ice storms, Oklahoma really has it all. And so we couldn't think of a better spot to put such a a response vehicle uh, than in Oklahoma City, where it could get anywhere in that state in relatively quick order, but it will also, this trailer will also be the central uh, regional point for the states surrounding it, including Texas and Louisiana and uh, other states that are so prone to all those disasters and including obviously with Louisiana hurricanes. And so what this uh, truck and trailer will bring is uh, life-saving resources that we can establish disaster shelters for the animals. We'll have a boat on there to do flood rescue We'll have animal handling equipment, obviously. We can also do triage and uh, treatment of animals so we can uh, assess their situation and determine what kind of medical needs they may need and basically serve from a cradle-to-grave services after a disaster for the animals. Well, that's fantastic. And, you know, this is actually now our third regional response vehicle. We have one that's also based in South Florida, our Lois Pope rescue vehicle. And we also have a Lois Pope rescue vehicle that's based in the Northeast. And it's also sponsored by Banfield Pet Hospital and the Banfield Foundation. Randy, can you talk a little bit about why we're doing this regional expansion of these trucks? Yeah, we have a goal to get a response vehicle and and a cache of equipment in every FEMA region, and there's 10 FEMA regions across the United States. And so as the idea is that we are able to get these regional response vehicles to a disaster where the animals are in need in relatively short order within 24 hours. And um, if we need to, if it's a bigger disaster like your Joplin's and your Moore Oklahoma's or your Hurricane Katrina's, then we can respond more vehicles from farther away, including our 83-foot trailer out of Denver as well. So it just brings a full force uh, capacity of resources to bear and to save those, uh, those poor, unfortunate animals that are victims of the disaster, just like humans are. Do you and your team have, a, have another region lined up for the next bit of expansion? 
Yes, we have our eyes set on the California area in Los Angeles, and that would um, serve to really be our, our West Coast response. And so that will serve the areas of uh, not only California, but Arizona and Nevada. And until we can get uh, further along in our expansion plan, even up into uh, Oregon and, and Washington as, as well. I know the animals, you know, all over the western half of the United States will be thankful when we can have these teams in place. And so with our our truck in Oklahoma, I understand we're going to have a veterinarian who's going to be stationed there to be with the truck and to help deploy with our team to save animals. Yes, this is one of our one of our most exciting uh, opportunities that we've uh, not done in in years past and and so to have a full-time veterinarian on the the rescue staff uh, will will really increase our capabilities tenfold. A veterinarian gets a lot more leeway and authority uh, with respect to treating animals than, than our normal responders do. Uh, that allows us to receive medications. It allows us to do a lot of different things that veterinarians are authorized to do per their licensure that uh, just normal responders aren't able to do. Uh, as well as it gives us that expertise, that veterinary expertise uh, right there on, on the team. Now, we have in our response team, we have lots of volunteer veterinarians, but to have one at the ready uh, as a full-time staff is just a, a huge force multiplier for us. That's wonderful, and I know that it's going to be so helpful to have have them on staff and ready to deploy and ready to save animals with their medical expertise. So as we reflect on 100 years of rescue, we've been everywhere from both world wars to the Mount St. Helens disaster to pretty much every major blizzard, flood, and tornado that's hit the U.S. over the past 100 years. What is it like leading this team just knowing they have such a rich legacy behind them? Uh, that was definitely one thing that very much attracted me to the American Humane Association was that historical background and the legacy that they have. It's certainly an honor to to lead the team and to have a, a team so in-depth in disaster response for animals. I, I like to, to joke, but it's serious in that uh, American Humane Association and their rescue team has, has uh, more experience with disasters than FEMA does. So <laughs> it's certainly a an honor to uh, be involved in, in those things. And I'm really looking forward to perhaps tweaking some of our things to make sure we raise the bar and make sure our competencies are at its highest peak ever so that we're prepared for the next challenge that will befall us. I'd also like to, you know, you mentioned a lot of those disaster responses, those very significant disasters, but we also have responded internationally. We've certainly been to Canada. We've been to Amsterdam. We've been to Haiti after the earthquake, and then even uh, involved with the Fukushima disaster in Japan. So uh, we have a, not only a, a rich legacy and history with disaster response in the United States, but also outside the United States as well. Yeah, and of course, the team actually got its birth outside the United States when we went to Europe to serve the war horses of World War One. So it's been international from the beginning, and we know that Unfortunately, disasters can strike around the world at any given moment, so our team is always prepared to lend its expertise whenever we're called in. So, Randy, um, well, I was just going to shift gears a bit. You know, here we're just shifting now into hurricane season. Of course, it's tornado season as well, and so animals around the country are could disaster could strike at any given moment. So talk a little bit about for our listeners what they can do to help prepare their families and prepare their pets in the event a disaster threatens. Yeah, that's a great question, Scott. And I think families need to be aware that the disasters do go beyond, you know, just the impacts on on themselves and their their family members. And it does reach down into 
their four-legged pets and their companion animals. And so having a disaster plan is is very important with that. And, and factoring in the complexities that owning a pet has on that plan uh, needs to be considered. So uh, make sure you're in your disaster planning that you're resourcing what you need for your animals, including uh, your cat food, your dog food, and also make sure that your pet is not only tagged, but it's also microchipped. So that way, if you do, uh, for some unfortunate reason, get separated from your animals, that you can reunify with them with the responders that save those animals. I would also encourage owners to make sure that they understand that, you know, most owners don't take their pets with them 24-7. The owners go to work, they go to school, they do their everyday lives and, and run errands and that sort of thing. And then and then a disaster happens. A lot of people really think that, hey, I would never leave my animal behind when evacuating, but sometimes you're caught outside of the zone when the, when the emergency happens. So you got to factor that in and make sure that your plans include what you're going to do when you do get separated from your animals and that your animals are uh, appropriately tagged and, and can be identified. I would also encourage people to, when we say make a plan, that means make sure everybody in your family understands what that plan is. It's not simply writing a list of items that you need to do in advance of disaster. It's it's that planning process that really makes that plan beneficial. So as you go through that plan with your children and your wife and your significant others and your neighbors, that everybody understands what are in, involved in your plans and what you're expected to do so you can make decisions when the disaster happens. Yeah, and those are some fantastic tips and really they're life-saving tips. And for any of our listeners out there who want more information about how they can prepare their animals, we have a number of tips available on our website, AmericanHumane.org. Uh, right there on the main page, you can click and then you can go and, and we have tips for virtually any kind of disaster that might affect whichever region of the country you live in because every disaster is unique. Some can come up all of a sudden like a tornado and some you have a little bit more time to prepare like a hurricane. But at the end of the day, you need to be prepared and you need to have your, your kids and your pets prepared for whatever Mother Nature throws your way. Randy, I know that you know one of the first big responses that you did, going back to talking about some of our history, was the thousand-year flood event that was in that was in South Carolina last fall. Can you talk a little bit about that disaster and and what the response was like? Yeah, as you said, it was a thousand-year flood. It was the remnants of Hurricane Joaquin that were really providing the deluge um, in South Carolina and. So our team mobilized actually twice. We found ourselves there actually three times. We were in the process of doing a transport uh, while the flooding began and, and our vehicle uh, had broken down in South Carolina during the flooding. And it didn't have anything to do with the flooding, but it actually turned out to be fortunate for us because as it was getting repaired, once we got the call to come and, and help out South Carolina, we had a truck already there. So uh, it allowed us to maximize our resources as well. And so we went into South Carolina after we got the call and did some assessments of some local shelters, uh, shelters that had been a victim to the flooding and had to evacuate and needed some support. And uh, we just kind of assessed their needs and were able to facilitate some donations through some of our partners and then relocated to Georgetown where we set up a disaster shelter uh, where they were really hit hard by the flooding. And when you get hit hard by the flooding, you know, pet adoption slow down, the, the whole animal infrastructure slows down. So it was, it was an overloaded wow. system. So we were able to help with our disaster sheltering as well as be on the ready to go out and rescue animals that are in need when we, when we get notified by the, the local authorities that there's an area with 
with particular animals that need rescued. And we did get one of those calls where we had an unfortunate circumstance where there were a large number of cats. We didn't know exactly how many at the time, but we knew it was a large number of cats that were isolated in a home that had been flooded in. And the owners had no ability to rescue those particular animals, those particular cats. So we responded to the house and found out that we were worried that it might have been a hoarding situation. But what we found was that these were really farm animals, farm cats that were in the barn and they, the owners brought them into the house thinking that the, the barn was going to flood and it in fact did. But not knowing the that it was going to be the thousand year flood that it was, not knowing that their house was going to flood. And so when their house began to flood, they had to leave immediately for safety concerns and unfortunately could not didn't have the capability to take care of these uh, 25 cats. And so we were able to uh, respond the team there and with our boat and our protective gear, we were able to reach the waters around the, the home and get in there who where the cats had been living for quite a few number of days. I believe it was about five days. So we were able to get in there and capture um, a large number of those cats. Unfortunately, we couldn't get some that were trapped on the roof or uh, whatever. They were just too evasive for us. And uh, we just made plans to return or that they would calm down and the owners would be able to capture them later. But we were able to rescue 17 of the 25 and uh, get them back to the disaster shelter and get them the veterinary care that they needed uh, for living in the conditions that they were in and then the nasty, dirty floodwaters and, and that sort of thing. And uh, the, the owners agreed to allow us to work with the local shelters and get them adopted out. They could have forever homes. And so we're able to find them homes across uh, South Carolina to uh, people that were going to love them. So it was a really unique experience uh, with that rescue in particular, and uh, the shelter continued to operate several days after that and then uh, shut it down. Uh, we left, and then a week later, we got another call. There was still just so many uh, overloaded systems, and one of the shelters we'd stopped in on earlier in the incident needed to help again and um, asked for our team to come down and help them with the overpopulation situation that they were dealing with as a result of the flood, and we were able to uh, help transport uh, many of their dogs out to other uh, shelters that had had space available, and uh, we were able to coordinate that for them due to our vast network of uh, resources and, and partners that we have, and able to uh, really move a lot of those dogs out of there and take the burden off that local shelter as well. So, you know, uh, in truth be told, you know, with uh, kind of a week off, week on kind of thing, we were there for three, four weeks um, doing various different things in support of that uh, in support of that incident. Well, that's just wonderful to hear. You know, those animals, they really need it. Uh, a lot of people don't think about the animals when disaster strikes, but that's why our team is there, and that's why we've been there for 100 years, and we're going to be there, continue to be there whenever and wherever animals are in need. And you can actually read a little bit more about uh, Randy's time in Oklahoma, or sorry, in, in South Carolina, in the new Chicken Soup for the Soul book that's called The Spirit of America, with 101 stories about what makes our country great. And one of those 101 stories is actually written by Randy that talks about his time in South Carolina and talks about our 100 years of rescue. So that'll be on bookshelves in just the next week or so. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Randy. Um, we really appreciate it. And we know that um, you have some busy weeks ahead getting the truck all ready to go and preparing for the next bit of expansion in California and elsewhere. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. And we'll be right back to wrap up this week's show. You're listening to Pet Life Radio. We'll be right back, right after these messages. 
Stay tuned. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Begging to hear more of your favorite show? Full episodes of all our shows are available on demand. Go to PetLifeRadio.com to fetch our entire lineup of possum pet podcasts. Also, dig us up in iHeartRadio Talk and iTunes. Let's talk pets. Live and on demand only from Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Be Humane with Dr. Robin Ganser. That was my colleague Scott Sowers reporting from the field. Thank you, Scott. So appreciate those wonderful interviews. You know, friends, today I'm looking and, and admiring this incredible retro poster that represents the founding of our Red Star Rescue program 100 years ago. Help the horse to save the soldier. Please join the American Red Star Animal Relief. And it's just uh, an incredible visual of a war horse in such pain and the soldier. And it just reminds me of what it was to be an animal rescue 100 years ago. Well, today, friends, I have so many personal stories of seeing horses today in crisis. Horses neglected and abused. Farm animals in crisis, neglected and abused. And of course, so many kitties, so many dogs all across our country are targets of abuse and neglect and victims of cruelty. That's why a hundred years later, American Humane Association is dedicating so many resources to save lives. Such a fascinating history of our animal rescue team and friends know that American Humane will be there for the next hundred years provide a second chance at life for animals, our precious animal friends. That's all the time we have for you today. We'll be back very soon with some more great shows, including ones that feature one of the greatest animal issues of our times. Friends, I'll give you a hint. It's about animals in zoos and aquariums and conservation settings. We'll be coming at you live from Capitol Hill with a groundbreaking announcement very soon. I can't tell you much more about it yet. You'll have to join us again for more details. Cheers to staff, the volunteers of American Humane's Rescue Program. Remember this week and every week to be humane. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.